All right, uh, Utah in the Weeds, episode eight. We're here. We're still in. Uh, we're still doing the uh, episode or the recordings in uh, remote areas, different areas. Hopefully, we will get back to doing these in person soon, though. And uh, we have a special guest, though. Well, first of all, I guess we should introduce ourselves. Tim, you want to go first? Sure. I'm Tim Pickett. I'm the uh, founder of uh, UtahMarijuana.org, and uh, do a lot of healthcare. Uh, in the Valley with regard to medical cannabis. I consider myself somebody who's really educated and uh, involved in the cannabis scene, uh, the medical side of it in Utah, and you know, really enjoyed this podcast with, with you, Chris. Uh, what's your other project? So my other project is I Am Salt Lake podcast, which I've been podcasting for a long time. And I've always wanted to start another podcast and I love cannabis. And I was like, this is a perfect opportunity to help highlight and to help educate some of the, uh, the people here in Utah. And, uh, this seems like a perfect project, right, Tim? I'm having fun. Oh yeah. I mean, I think we've, we're having, I'm really having fun. I'm like, I'm excited that now we're starting to get a little bit of traction and we're starting, I'm starting to meet a few people who listen and have been asking questions. We're getting, uh, people like, Rich Oborn, our guest today, and let me introduce you, Rich. Uh, Rich Oborn is the the director, is that correct, of the cannabis department in the Department of Health? A- am I getting that right? Yeah, it's called the Center for Medical Cannabis, and it's at the Utah Department of Health, right? And it's responsible for implementing the Utah Medical Cannabis Act. Now, what were you doing before this? What were, what kind of job did you have? Did you work for the for the state here, state of Utah, at the Department of Health, or did was this like the first job, or how did that work out for you? So before I started uh, working for the Center for Medical Cannabis, I was at the Department of Health, and I oversaw the Office of Vital Records and Statistics. Okay, and as director of the Office of Vital Records and Statistics, uh, you know we issue birth certificates, death certificates, collect a lot of data from hospitals. And we issue those uh, certificates uh, to individuals that need them when, you know, someone dies or when a baby's born and all that. But one of the small programs that that office of our department had uh, when it started was uh, in 2015, when I started, was the Hemp Extract Registration Program, otherwise known as Charlie's Law. It passed in 2014, and that was just for uh, people with intractable epilepsy. Um, they'd be able to legally possess... CBD, um, if they they would have to go out of state to go purchase it, but they could legally possess it in Utah. So I was working in that uh, arena for a few years, and I really enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun working in vital records, and it just required that I do a little bit of research about uh, medical cannabis um, related to the hemp extract registration program. And every year there would be these uh, bills that would be considered by the legislature. Mark Madsen would propose a bill and the legislature would vote on it and it wouldn't pass. But uh, then, of course, Prop 2, it looked like that was going to pass. I was still the vital records director, but our executive director asked that I come and help out with uh, helping the department work on preparing for Prop 2 because it looked like it was going to pass. And we also knew that it looked like uh, the legislature was working on some um, legislation to amend Prop 2. And so at that point, I started working on medical cannabis full-time for the department. The Center for Medical Cannabis hadn't been created yet, but 
I was uh, just kind of working uh, in, on a temporary basis, but full time. And then um, later in about March uh, 2019, um, it became a formal center for medical cannabis. And we started hiring employees and I was hired as the director. And then we hired a few more employees. And uh, so since then, I've been uh, just done a lot of planning and researching and strategizing, budgeting about how to run the program. We've done some RFPs where we've awarded contracts and we've chosen uh, the uh, 14 medical cannabis pharmacies that are uh, three of those are up and running right now. And we hope to see 11 more uh, open up later this year. I'm just kind of trying to get paint a picture here, even for our listeners, because I mean, you have a pretty big job, a pretty big role here in Utah with cannabis. And that's kind of why I was curious, like what kind of jobs you had leading up to this? Like, I mean, have you even used cannabis yourself? I mean, do you currently use it as medicine? I have not uh, used it, but I, I'm familiar with CBD oil. That was something okay. that I studied even, uh, you know, this was years ago. I started to learn about it just because I was curious. And when I started working in Vital Records, it was obviously um, a part of our program where we would uh, issue people uh, the registration cards for the hemp extract registration program. But it was very small. It was only about 300 patients. And so I researched it then. And then um, I researched it a lot more when I started working on the department's uh, project to prepare for Prop 2. And then, uh, of course, later on, um, I was, I've attended conferences. I've gone out, out of state to take a look at what facilities are doing in other states. And um, we've put together a team that has, um, with me, learned a lot about the industry. And it's it's been something that's been really interesting. It's certainly an emerging field, obviously. We, we've got uh, 33 states where it's legal right now and 11 states where it's recreationally legal. And so it's exciting to see something that's emerging like this and to be able to uh, to be a part of it, a small part of it is uh, something that excites me that I think people are just talking about more and more. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's pretty interesting. I think, I don't think anybody in Utah would be surprised that you have somebody without personal experience of in cannabis to, to run the department. I actually think you fit pretty well um, coming from your background in government. Did you, what other states did we like did Utah model their program after different states or like the 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 regulatory side? I know that there were some states like Connecticut and uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Minnesota that had programs that were more conservative than others that the legislature took a look at when they were crafting what they wanted it to look like. Initially, uh, there was a state central fill pharmacy component to it that was very unique in comparison to other states, but that component has now been removed. And now, um, you know, there's uh, 14 medical cannabis pharmacies and um, eight cultivators in Utah. And so um, I was able to take a visit to Minnesota and also to Arizona. And that gave me the opportunity to take a look at a program that was very restricted in Minnesota. Um, there's only two companies that run the cultivation and the uh, the pharmacy and processing of medical cannabis in Minnesota. Um, but we were able to take a tour of their facilities and learn more about the program that they're running there. And then I visited Arizona. Arizona is a much more, I, I think, open and, and, and I'd say liberal program where 
Um, the government side is very small and they're on the cusp, I think, of going recreational in Arizona, it looks like. It's still medical cannabis only, but they've got some elements to it that look a lot um, like it's recreational, but it looks like that may pass um, here in the next few years and, and go to be adult use in, in Arizona. So I was able to personally visit those two states, and that gave us a, an idea of how things operate in, in medical cannabis pharmacies in Utah, and they're called, of course, dispensaries in other states or um, centers for medical cannabis in other states. But that kind of gave me a, an idea for seeing firsthand how things go. Um, I've also visited some of the cultivation facilities here in Utah, and that's been a good opportunity to see uh, what's happening locally as they prepare things uh, to be sold at an actual pharmacy location. So what's the uh, overall like role of the Department of Health in Utah when it relates to the the entire like medical cannabis? What I mean, there's some, there's definitely some patients who are like, why, why is the government involved in this at all? And, and there's others who don't know anything about medical cannabis and they need to be uh, guided through the process. Like what, what really does the Department of Health do? What's their role? Yeah. So I think one of the most primary responsibilities is that we issue cards to patients. There's in the legislation, a requirement that someone uh, meet with a qualified medical provider that's registered by the department, not just any provider, but one that's been registered by the department. And uh, this medical provider is required to do some training. And so we approve the training that uh, meets that requirement um, that a provider has to do before they actually get registered. And so we register the provider, we register the patient, uh, we make sure that the education that the provider goes through has been vetted, that it has the elements uh, of the law that are required, uh, such as um, requiring that the provider pass a quiz that or a test that makes sure that they have actually learned about medical cannabis uh, from the course that they took. And I think there's also um, a need to oversee the pharmacies. Um, medical cannabis pharmacies uh, in Utah are very unique, and we need to make sure that the businesses that are running those are operating them in a way that complies with Utah law that protects the public. Also, there's an element of having to coordinate with the Utah Department of Agriculture and Food. They are responsible to oversee the testing of the products. And we need to make sure that the products that are being sold at the medical cannabis pharmacies are actually the products that have been uh, tested and have gone through that um, uh, the, those, the testing of the heavy metals and contaminants and that the ingredients that they say they have, they actually have to the degree that they represent to have. And that's a critical part of, the, of Utah's program. And that's a component of it that the testing is the component of it that the Utah Department of Agriculture and Food is responsible for. But we uh, make sure that the products are actually the ones that have been tested that are sold at the pharmacies. So that way the public can purchase product with confidence and know that it's not just something that's been uh, cooked up in, a, in someone's uh, backyard that you don't know, or it's not being imported from out of state. It's actually something that's been tested in Utah that's gone through the, the vetting and that is safe for the product to con for the public to consume. Is all of the product grown here, processed here? Uh, there's nothing imported from out of state? Is that the way the statute works? That's correct. Yes. That's uh, one of the reasons why it's 
taking time for a variety of products to be available is because we can only grow it and process it in the state of Utah. So the cultivators, um, there are some cultivators that have really been aggressive and have been able to get product um, through a processor and out to be sold uh, since March 2020 when patients began to be able to purchase. And there are others that are a little more behind, but um, I think over time, um, the industry will mature in Utah, And um, but it takes time. And part of the reason why is just because the fact that 100% of the product has to be grown and processed in Utah. I think that people don't really quite understand that, why you couldn't import you know, cheaper product from Oregon or from these states that have uh, bigger production facilities. But, but that's a national, I mean, that would be federally illegal, right? Yeah, until the federal law changes, um, there is the need for the states as they have state laws that allow for medical cannabis or adult use cannabis um, that 100% of the product be grown and processed within boundaries of the state. So uh, as far as dispensaries go, we talked about three that are open now. There's uh, Perfect Earth now has two locations, uh, one in Logan, one in South Ogden. Uh, Dragonfly Wellness, of course, is downtown. Do you know there's there's going to be 13 more? I mean, do we have a timeline on that? Has corona Has the coronavirus really affected that timeline? I think there's a little bit of effect there for when they plan to open, but um, based on information that we're getting from the facilities, there is a group of them that plan to open over the summer. And um, I think we could see a location in West Bountiful in the summer. We could also see more locations in Salt Lake during the summer open up. And also in, in Southern Utah, St. George and Cedar City, Payson, uh, Linden, Springville, Provo, I think that those are all the facilities that have yet to open. And I'd like to see that they're all open by the end of the summer, but uh, we may see some delay in that because of COVID-19. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. That is awesome that Payson is getting. Uh, I know, pharmacy. like there's three, there's going to be three in Utah County, which I think which yeah. I think is kind of interesting. But I think the Springville one will serve us quite a bit of people um, uh, south of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. In South Salt Lake County, you know, the Springville location in Linden, I guess. Um, oh, Linden right. would be a, a, a place where those that live in South Salt Lake County would be able to conveniently get to. Also, um, possibility of, uh, of Lehigh in, instead of Springville. That's, that's something that's being looked at. So sure. we'll see. What's the, um, uh, how many cards, give us an update on how many cards have been issued in the state of Utah over the two, what we've been, we've been just two months. Yeah. So as of today, we've got 31 medical cannabis card holders, or I'm sorry, 3,100, not 31, <laughs> 3,100 uh, medical cannabis card holders. And um, we've got people that hold cards in rural counties, such as a uh, Grand County, Miller County, Beaver County, Sevier, San Pete, Uinta County, as well as, of course, Utah County and, and Salt Lake County and Davis County, Cache County, Weber County, all across the state. Um, people have applied for cards and received those cards. And we've got um, over 300 qualified medical providers. So um, those are um, MDs, um, DOs, APRNs, and physician assistants like you, Tim, who have 
applied uh, with the Department of Health to be able to recommend medical cannabis. And um, they're located all throughout the state. Most of them are located in Davis County or uh, Weber County or Salt Lake County or Utah County, naturally with the higher populations being in those counties. But um, there are some in Millard County and Beaver County, Sevier County. Um, Some of them have chosen not to allow their names to be posted on our website, but others have. That's something that we leave up to the actual uh, provider as to whether they want to be listed on our website. But anybody out there can go on our website. Uh, There's a locate a provider icon that you click on on our website at medicalcannabis.utah.gov. And you can find the list of providers there that have authorized their name to be posted on our website. And I know some of them are very busy right now and there may be a need to wait a bit for an appointment because they're um, having to schedule those out. But others, it just depends on what the availability is. Some of them may not uh, be as full as is uh, some of the more commonly used qualified medical providers. And so we encourage those that are interested in pursuing a medical cannabis card to go check out our website and locate a provider in their county. And if you don't have one in your county, you can just find one that you feel comfortable with, uh, research them, talk to them about what uh, training they've had in medical cannabis and learn more about what services they provide, the cost of the visit and things like that before you schedule anything. Then if it's something that uh, you still want to do, schedule the appointment and and um, you're able to do that. Have you had a lot of people still, are you still having quite a bit of trouble with people getting, like navigating through the application process or the registration process? Or do you feel like there's enough information out there uh, that that's being smoothed out? I think a lot of it has been smoothed out. Initially, there were some hiccups as there is with any electronic system when it rolls out at the very beginning uh, to the general public. And over time, we've been able to get over some of those speed bumps, I think, that uh, we had at the very beginning. Uh, We've been able to post information. There's a user guide on our website. Um, There's also a phone number that people can call. And we're getting good at getting back to people quickly if they have to leave a voicemail as they ask questions about how to navigate the system. Also, in the future, there'll be additional things that'll make it more user-friendly and streamline the process. But it is a lot better now than it was when we initially rolled out. And we were able to, um, we're having about three to 400 new cardholders each uh, week. Uh, which is exciting to see. We, our numbers are building each week. And that means that people are following the instructions and understanding, um, getting information sometimes from their qualified medical provider or the clinic where they go and uh, or they're contacting our office and getting help if they're having trouble or they're having their uh, son or daughter help them through it. Because sometimes, you know, uh, the the younger crowd is easier at navigating things electronically and a lot of people have found that helpful to just have someone uh, that's used these type of systems before that can understand some of the things that to a younger crowd might be intuitive, but for an older crowd might not be. I'm curious, has the response been better or is it about what you thought it would be? Because I'm sure nobody had any idea how many people would even be interested in getting a card, right? Is this kind of what you expected or what kind of numbers did you expect? 
I think we're we're seeing right now exactly what we projected. Um, we're on track okay. to. I, I think by the end of the year we should be over ten thousand. Um, if we continue to build and and grow at the rate that we are now, we'll be well over ten thousand cards by the end of December twenty twenty. Uh, but one thing that impacts that a little bit is the the COVID nineteen pandemic. That's one thing because some patients are having trouble meeting up with their uh, the qualified medical providers for that initial visit in person. Another thing that impacts um, our the, the number of card holders is uh, the fact that um, so many have chosen to just get a recommendation letter, and until the end of 2020, patient can legally purchase product from one medical cannabis pharmacy. They have to choose one and that they have to be limited to that just one uh, pharmacy that they chose. Um, They can purchase product there until the end of the year, but it ends at the end of this year. And so we think we'll probably see a bump in November and December when some of those patients realize, oh, I can't purchase with just a recommendation letter now. I need to get a card and I'll finish that process they haven't already started it. We hope that they don't wait until then to do it. And we hope that people are interested in kind of testing out products at different pharmacies um, rather than having to be limited to one. Also, in order to have product home delivered, you have to be a cardholder. Yeah. When does that start? So that's going to start this summer. We're working out some of those details now. And as early as July, but it's possible that it'll be a little bit later than that. Um, we're just working out some details with our um, system vendor to ensure that that process happens like um, it should. So, but in order to have something home delivered in the summer or in the fall, when that program rolls out for home delivery, you have to be a cardholder. That wouldn't be an option available to recommendation letter customers. So, um, those are two reasons why people that have recommendation letters should get a card and and pursue that avenue is uh, first the ability to purchase with a card ends at the end of the year. Also the ability to have something home delivered isn't there until you get a card. I think that home delivery is going to be a big hit because uh, even with the, with the pandemic, even more. So I'm surprised they're not pushing to, to try to get that into effect like tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and, you know, systems, uh, as we set them up, they work really well once they're set up, but right now we're working through the details of the programming of the software and we're being clear about the requirements of what um, data points are required to be collected when a product is delivered. And so I think we need to make sure we do that carefully and we do it right. So that way we, when we run it out, it's, operating the best it can and people are um, able to order things in a way that's streamlined and where they can have confidence in receiving a product uh, by the date that um, a a pharmacy promised to deliver it to them by. But I think it'll be an option that people that live in urban areas uh, will take advantage of, not just those in rural areas, but rural is certainly something that is an advantage to those people that you know, want something delivered, they they want to be able to have it delivered right to them. And it's an option that is being so um, used so commonly in commerce today. So it's it's something that sure. the legislature made possible. And we're, we're excited about it. 
did they do the, did that have anything to do with us not being able to, or patients not being able to grow? Was that, do you know if, if that was part of the compromise on, Hey, we'll allow home delivery. So everybody in the state has access, but, but nobody can grow. Yeah. I can't speak for the legislature about it, but I do know that um, the logic is, is that it was uh, part of the compromise of how many pharmacies were allowed to open or dispensaries in Utah. So there's 14 dispensaries rather than allowing 30 or 40. Um, mm. They decided to uh, allow 14 with the option of increasing later on. Uh, that's within the law. The Utah department of health has the authority to authorize additional uh, pharmacies to open, to license additional locations. But we won't do that until we're able to gather data about the market and um, how things are going after 14 have opened and are operating for at least a year or so. But yeah, so home delivery was was part of that compromise of, of the number of pharmacies, I believe. Now, do you guys, do you have anything to do with the qualifications? I'm curious of this because there's 14 qualifications. I hear all the time, like depression, anxiety. What are your thoughts of, of those ever getting added as a qualification? So the legislature, when they took a look at the law, you know, it was them that decided what those qualifications would be, um, what okay. the qualifying conditions would be. Um, the Department of Health, we provided input regarding those, but we felt pretty comfortable where, where they were at when, when those were drafted. The legislature also created what's called the cannabinoid product board. And that's a critical board that um, the Department of Health works with directly. And the responsibility of that board is to make recommendations to the interim health and human services committee at the legislature regarding any additional conditions that have evidence of having success being treated with medical cannabis. So the, the board is uh, continually reviewing studies um, about different conditions. Although there's only so many studies that are done in the United States right now, they also take a look at studies outside the United States from Canada and Israel and other countries where there's just been more studies done. There's more literature out there in those, in those countries. And they're taking a look at those studies and learning if there's anything that they would recommend as a board to the legislature. The legislature always has the final say on what um, qualifying conditions should be added. And I haven't really heard much uh, chatter about additional conditions that the legislature is considering, but I know it's possible. And I think the Cannabinoid Product Board is open to receive uh, new uh, studies that may uh, prove that there's a condition that's not listed currently under the law. But if evidence proves it, they, they may make a recommendation to the legislature that it be added. And then that brings up the, so the cannabinoid board is different than the compassionate use board. Is that right? Now you, do you, does the department of health kind of manage the compassionate use board? Yes. So we, we manage both the cannabinoid product board and the compassionate use board and the compassionate use board. Um, they are there to review the applications that come from minors who are under the age of 21 who need to have all of their applications reviewed by the Compassionate Use Board and approved by the Department of Health. 
Is that primarily under 21 or do they also, they also uh, review things that are outside of the 15 qualifying conditions? Right. Yeah. That's the second purpose is to review any applications that come from individuals that do not have a qualifying condition, but uh, whose qualified medical provider believes that they still would benefit from medical cannabis. And so there are some of those applications that have been submitted already that the Department of Health is preparing for the uh, Compassion Use Board to review. And are they meeting every month or t- tell us more about that? Sorry to interrupt you. They meet once a month and um, there was uh, applications that were re- re- reviewed last month. There were 10 petitions that were approved. And so medical cannabis cards were sent out to 10 minors uh, who had conditions such as uh, autism, chronic pain, and, and there are a few other types of conditions that um, anxiety was one, uh, different types of conditions that some of the minors were, were dealing with. And the board, uh, despite the fact that these were minors, approved uh, those applications and we've issued those cards. Well, that's pretty awesome. If there's a medical provider that's listening you made a comment here in the email that uh, you could give them some more information if they wanted to start recommending medical cannabis to patients. Yeah. So on our website at medicalcannabis.utah.gov, if someone just clicks on providers and if they go to con- con- continuing education link on that icon at medicalcannabis.utah.gov, uh, there is information about uh, four courses. Three of them are online and Those are the courses that are required for someone to be registered as a qualified medical provider by the Utah Department of Health. So um, there's four credit hours. Um, Those are hours that a provider could count toward their licensure as a MD or a DO or an APRN or a PA uh, for their DOPL licensure. So they could use those to count for that as well. But We know that there's a lot of providers out there who are just very curious about medical cannabis and have just kind of generally heard about it, maybe in the news or from their patients. And uh, what uh, we have on our website is just these courses that they can complete. And if they are still interested after taking the course, um, they can use that course to help them become registered by the Department of Health. Uh, There's a $100 registration fee. Then there's a renewal fee of $50 every two years for registration as a qualified medical provider. Um, but it could be any, uh, any PA or APRN or medical doctor or a DO that is able to pursue that if they choose to. They have to have a controlled substance license as well. Um, so it just can't be any of those license types. They have to hold a controlled substance license. Um, but most of those providers do hold uh, one of those. Yeah, those uh, just to put a plug in for those courses, I did the IHC course, the in-person course, and I thought that was worth doing. Um, I also did the, I think you have one for the 411. Right, medical marijuana 411. 411, and I did that one as well. And I felt like the online course probably was more inclusive of the endocannabinoid system and some of the basics of the of medical cannabis. And I think the IHC course tended to more, um, uh, more the legality and, uh, the actual kind of nuts and bolts of how the law works and some evidence, uh, evidence-based stuff. 
I I preferred the online to the IHC one, but uh, I think I mean obviously they all meet the purpose of giving you your your CME, your medical education, and the qualifying education for the Department of Health. Right. The two other courses are the answer page uh, was another option that's online. And then also the University of Utah, they put together a continuing medical education course that meets the requirement as well. I've heard good things about the U, uh, also that it was the least expensive of the of the bunch. It's a very popular course. You know, a lot of people, just because they're familiar with the University of Utah, choose to do that one. And, you know, just because you take it, it doesn't mean that you have to become registered to recommend medical cannabis. It just helps you be aware. It, it may just prepare you better to answer questions generally that patients may come to you about. Um, patients with chronic pain, we know a lot of them are asking about medical cannabis because it's now legal under state law in Utah. And so it just prepares providers better to answer those questions at the very least. But it also gives them the option to, if they choose to become registered as a qualified medical provider, they, they also are just one step closer to having that option. What, uh, what changes are happening? Like, what do you see the changes in maybe the software or what are some of the changes we can look forward to as, as patients or like, what do we want to watch out for? Well, I think one of the most critical changes will be the home delivery. We've, we've covered that a little bit. Um, but that's a critical change that's that's coming up uh, later on. I think another change is just making improvements to the system. We've already made a lot of improvements. It's it's a lot better than it than it was uh, when we rolled out, and we're excited about those those improvements. But you'll see further improvements to make it more intuitive, uh, to guide people through the process so they know the steps as they go through it a little bit better. And so those are things that I'm excited about. I think another thing that's exciting is just to see these pharmacies open. There's some really uh, smart people that are uh, running these pharmacies. Those that haven't have not opened yet um, have some great people that we've uh, chosen to issue licenses to. And I think that um, they're being very careful about how they're setting up. They're making sure that things are set up in a way that um, is best for patients uh, just doesn't help them make a profit, but also educates patient, patients. I think Dragonfly Wellness and Perfect Earth, Modern Apothecary have done a tremendous job of rolling out and kind of being guinea pigs as, as things have started. And uh, patients, I think, have been pleased with the products, although it, when a state begins running out uh, at the very first from the gate, there's always going to be um, issues that come up with the um, uh, maybe the lack of variety of products just because of the fact that you have to grow it all and process it all in Utah. But in large part, they've done a, a great job of rolling things out. And so I'm excited to see these additional pharmacies open up over the summer and maybe some will wait till the fall. But there's some people that really know what they're doing that have a expansive background in medical cannabis and helping um, people in other states. And now they're going to be helping people here in Utah. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for more uh, more dispensaries. I think the patients are too. Uh, well, Rich, I really appreciate you coming on. I think that, um, I mean, everybody that I talk to is, uh, um, they've, they've really wanted to hear from the Department of Health because I think the system is a little better. It's easier to navigate now uh, than it was before. I've done a lot of, um, obviously I've, I've talked to a lot of people and 
and we've done our own, um, tried to educate or done our own education material to try to help people navigate through the system. I know you and I have talked about that before. So uh, I think the Department of Health has done a pretty good job based on what my knowledge is of other states. And so my hat's off to you guys uh, for, for working so hard, especially right now when I think it's been more difficult with the COVID-19 pandemic. For sure. Yeah, we're, we're glad to be a part of it. We're excited to be just to play a small role in helping people get relief from chronic pain and, and other conditions that uh, they've been struggling with for many years. And there's so many people that have put in a ton of work to bring the program to where it is now and to bring the law to where it is now um, with people working on Prop 2 and with people, legislators getting to a compromise and making changes, making tweaks, making improvements to the law. And I think we've got a really good foundation to build on. And uh, what we're hoping to do is to just be a fair and reasonable department that isn't overly burdensome on the industry, that's able to enhance the quality of life of, of patients in Utah. And um, that's that's what excites me about uh, things as we move forward. Cool. What's the website again? So people can go there and check it out. Sure. It's medicalcannabis.utah.gov. And you can find a lot of information um, there for providers. There's information there for patients. Uh, there's information there for people that are just curious about uh, medical cannabis. There's information that's uh, got just guidance for providers as they learn about it. We want them to be able to be educated about how they can give advice to their patients to start low and go slow and uh, to be um, experts in their own field about about medical cannabis let's wrap this show up tim sure let's let uh unless you i mean you got more if you, you got more if you got another one i'll let you go i mean i could talk to rich all day but uh i think that we bring him let's let's make a let's make a plan to bring rich back uh when we have ten thousand when we have ten thousand patients registered let's do it I it'll think, happen uh, i think it'll happen I'd love that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it would be fun to do it in person too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's always fun to Next do, time. do those in person. I'm looking forward to getting back in the studio for sure. UtahMarijuana.org. And they can actually listen to the episodes there too, which is really cool, as well as find out about uh, tons of uh, information, right? From Canada. Yes. And it, your number's right there as well? Yeah, my number's on the website, UtahMarijuana.org. And we'll have uh, this episode and all of the other episodes of Utah in the Weeds there. Um, of course, you can definitely call my office if you have questions about this episode or anything else medical cannabis related, uh, 801-851-5554. And where can they find you, Chris? Uh, just IamSaltLake.com. But my biggest request right now, let's get some iTunes reviews, right? Tim, I, I know I read you one. We had the one. I want to get some more iTunes reviews. We can read them on the show here. Oh, good. I'm going to post. Yeah, we need to get uh, we need to get some people because I talk to people who listen to this thing. Uh, yeah, leave us a review and yeah, tell us what you think of the review. show, and and uh, that way it helps boost our ratings and all that in iTunes. So yeah, I think anyway, more people are going to listen to this one than ever. <sighs> That's right. <laughs> Anything else you want to say, Rich? Before we completely cut out of here. No, I'm, I'm glad you're doing this podcast, Tim and, and Chris. I think it's a great idea. It's good to get word out to help people understand about the program and medical cannabis and, and the pharmacies that are operating. So I, I wish you the best of luck as you continue your work and, and do future podcasts.